Lord, in this place, God, as we set this moment aside, God, we set ourselves aside, and Lord, we ask Jesus, King of heaven, you show, it what, show us what it means to reign in our very lives. God, not something far outside of us or very vague, but Lord, deeply personal. God, would you show that to us today? In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. If you brought a Bible today, I'd love for you to turn to Hebrews chapter 2. We'll be in Hebrews today, Hebrews 2. And we started last week online. How did y'all like a Sunday off, right? Some of you were like, uh, you wouldn't have been here on January 1st. And some of you came at us with things like, I can't believe you didn't have church. Uh, and I didn't like it, honestly. I mean, I was, you know, we filmed a sermon in my office. And it reminded me of 2020 when we couldn't come in here. Um, and so it was, uh, you know, anyway, we laid it down and we introduced this uh, idea of our series called Life Together just for these short weeks. And I recommended this book by Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, we have 15 complimentary copies available uh, after the service today. If you make your way out this, this door and up the steps to the Breezeway Room, the first 15 will get a free copy. And this book was written by a German pastor during the Nazi-occupied uh, Hitler regime back in Germany. He wrote it to the underground church. And it, it's a fascinating book. It's a little clumsy uh, for the American reader today, for the modern American reader. But I think if you uh, orient yourself, you could really get a lot out of this. And so we've uh, offered this to you and inviting you in. And whether you read the book or not, for these few weeks, we're talking about uh, life together and what life together um, could look like, the possibilities for that. Uh, we do have an agenda. I'll set it for, say it from the beginning we want to challenge you, if you're not in a group, to, get, to sign up for a group today. If you're in a group and maybe need another group, we want you to know that there's grace to exit out of that group and look for something else. If you're in a group that you enjoy, we're going to challenge you to go deeper in that group. And if you're in a group that is going deeper, we want to issue you the challenge of serving and inviting others in, serving other people outside uh, of your group. Last week we did on our online church, we talked about, we answered four questions, how to find community, how to build community how to deepen community and how to preserve community. And Bonhoeffer in his book talks about this very thing with a little bit of my interpretation that you're not going to grow deeper by sitting in a room in a circle with your group and say, hey, let's go deeper. You're actually going to grow deeper by showing up and helping out and serving each other. And so give that a listen if you can. But Hebrews chapter um, 2 is where we are, and we'll get there in just a second. But I want to call us to life together today for this primary purpose of what Scripture teaches, what we all know to be true, these two words, uh, drift happens. If you're looking for the name of the sermon, uh, Beyond Life Together, it's drift happens. Let's say that out loud as a church. Drift happens. And it really is true. All of us probably have a story or a hundred where we found ourselves in a place we never thought we would be and we ask the question, how did I get here? And the thing about drift is that it's so gradual. It, it, it's sometimes unwitting for us that we, we're unaware of it. it. There's a subtlety to it. It's just so gradual. But you find yourself at a place you never intended to be, you never signed up for, and you're asking, how did I get here? How did I get so far away from joy? How did I get so far away from, from Christ? How did I get so far away from my spouse? How did, I, how did I get so far away from the energy that I had to live, from purpose and passion? And drift happens, and here's the thing, for all of us, this isn't the sage on the stage preaching down to anybody today. I know it in my own life. I'm, I'm testifying to this truth that drift happens. And so the answer, the antidote from Scripture, from Hebrews that we'll look at, is life together, for us to live life together. 
when, um, when we look at uh, you know, being in a place where we didn't think we would be, a lot of times it's wise to retrace your steps. And we can learn this from old people. Y'all know any old people? Um, I, yeah, I've, I've got some friends that are old. Uh, and uh, older people lose things a lot. Like uh, keys are searching, you know, where's my keys? Where's my wallet? Where's my glasses? This never happens. Uh, yeah, look at Susan right now. This never happens to me, but again, to old people. And you find yourself wondering around, hey, where did I put my glasses? Where did I put the keys? Where did I put my wallet? Where did I put, you know, whatever? And what do you do to find? You retrace in your mind. You go back and relive, retrace your steps. And next thing you know, you're looking for your keys and you're in the uh, kitchen. You're in the refrigerator and your keys are next to the shredded cheese. But you had to reshape, retrace your steps. And what I admire, I say this at least a few times a year, and I mean it. I really mean it. I, I admire the people in our church family who are in recovery because they know that one of the big steps is to do a fearless moral inventory, to take an honest look. And can I say at the beginning of a new year, some of us are not really willing to take an honest look. We're moving so fast and we're on autopilot, we're coasting. We're not willing to stop, to look, to analyze backwards of what's happened in our lives. To, to find out why you're here, you've got, to, you've got to look back to see how you got there. And that's the beauty of recovery. Some of my friends will tell you that, mor that fearless moral inventory. They start talking about root causes, uh, taking an honest look and retracing to find out how they got there. Um, most of us are like the rest of us. Just think about that for a second. Um, the Bible teaches this. I don't know if you've ever heard this verse. It says, we're all in the same boat, fishing in the same hole. That's um, a Zach Brown song, not actually in the Bible. just want to see if you're awake and you know country music. But we're all in the same All of us drift. And that's why Hebrews 2.1 is for us today. As we think about life together, let's look at this uh, passage. Hebrews 2.1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we what? Lest we drift away from it. You didn't think you'd be here, but how did you get here? What are the causes? What attributed to it? How'd you get so far away from where you wanted to be? You know, I found that most of the time when we drift somewhere, that we've stopped doing something and started doing something else. So I want to give you five, see if you see yourself. This is immensely practical. See if you see yourself in any of these. The first is that we stop counting and we start comparing. We stop counting, we start comparing. Anybody remember the song, uh, Count Your Many Blessings, name them one by one. Finish it with me. 930 was so good. Count Your Many Blessings, name them. See what God, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. When we stop counting, and we stop comparing, we drift. We drift away from the gratitude that God desires us to live in. A second thing that we stop and start, we stop praying, we start panicking. A third thing, we stop embracing accountability and we start avoiding it. We stop embracing accountability and we start avoiding it. Fourthly, we stop fighting sin and we start flirting with sin. There's no struggle anymore. We just give in to it. We've resigned ourselves. There's no battle. We're not living in that battle. We've just acquiesced to it. And the fifth thing is we stop gathering and we start isolating. So what do you do here? To avoid the drift, you reverse the list. And that's what I want to talk about 
today, all from Hebrews. So number one would be the following. To, again, to reverse the drift, you stop, you re, you rever, to stop the drift, you reverse the list. So number one, start counting and stop comparing. Look what it says in Hebrews 12 and verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. That last phrase in Hebrews 12, 28 calls us to remember that life is not about us. The life about me life is an empty, hollow life. The life about me is not a life of gratitude. But to live with reverence and awe, my life belongs to someone. Someone has bought me with a price. I am not my own, and he has given me everything I need in, to, for life and godliness. So I offer thanks to him. When you count your blessings, you're naming them one by one. Uh, you're counting your blessings to see what God has done. Can I ask you today, what has God done? What would you name if we went around the room, and we won't, but if we went around the room and we just took the alphabet, what would A be? What, what's a letter that starts with A that God has done? What about B and C and you worked your way through? We've all, I think we could all fill up the alphabet with blessings that God has given, them if, given us if we count, if we count our blessings. Is it easy for us to compare can I just ask you, do you scroll on your phone? And, you know, it's not innocent scrolling, is it? There are very few of us that can be intentional about this. But when you're just scrolling, here's what you're doing. Unwittingly, you're comparing yourself. You're looking at them and their exotic cars and you know, vacations. And you're, you're looking at people who have, like, perfect kids. And uh, they grow their own vegetables. And they're eating their vegetables around a farmhouse table that's immaculate that they built from crates they found in back of Home Depot. And you're like, I'm such a loser. They have all this stuff and I've got nothing, you know, and we just compare and we compare. And when you compare, when you start comparing and stop counting, you lose the thankfulness. You lose that gratitude. Uh, at the beginning of last year, I was with a preacher group. And a woman, a very brilliant woman, shared, uh, we were talking about church hurt. We were talking about the number of people who have been hurt by the church. And it all, almost always points back to leaders who've abused their power. And this was a warning call for us. This was, I hope, preemptive, a preemptive warning. But she put this diagram up that I want to share with you today. It's my pastor's fault, but you can, put, you can put your name in it as well. She talked about obligation. Obligation is, I have to do this. And if you, anybody of you found out there's a world of difference between I get to do this and I have to do this, like that's a, that's a big, it's a, it makes a big difference if you, you know, have to be married to that person or you get to be, it's a big difference if you get to come to church or have to, it's a big difference in how you hear the sermon. If you get to hear a sermon or you have to hear a sermon and I can't even look at y'all now, but anyway, there's a big difference between obligation, isn't there? I mean, obligate, you know, getting to and having to, but we start off this journey and there, you know, we're, we're involved in something, called to something. We're beckoned by something more noble than ourselves. And what? We get to do this. And we're so thankful that we get to partner with God and with others. But then it becomes an obligation. And we get overworked and we get overwhelmed and we become disillusioned and therefore drained. And then it becomes just an obligation. I have to do this. And that moves us toward resentment. Because if you're always having to do things, you're, you're, you resent others that aren't. You feel lonely in this, and many leaders do. Many people do. And resentment begins to look like, you know, I'm, I'm the only one, and other people don't. I, I, I'll have to do this. And that leads itself to entitlement, which is where abuse of power and authority comes in. Oh, I have a right to act out this way because of this. Oh, nobody, nobody else is doing it. I can do this because nobody else is doing it. I, I have a right to do this. And we become 
resentful and it leads uh, this this entitlement resentment leads to entitlement and entitlement leads to escape and that's the place where we go and hide in our sin where do you run and many people run to dangerous things and we spend time energy money of hiding it from other people and we escape into this darkness we drift go back to obligation go back to do you get to or do you have to go back to are you thankful or not? The second thing I want to talk about, uh, a movement that we make, and let's go back real quick to this picture of someone yawning. Um, look at that for a few seconds and see if you need to yawn. I think it's a scientific fact that when you see someone yawning next to you in the same room, you're more apt to yawn. There's a trigger effect. There's, uh, yawning is contagious. And just as yawning is contagious physically, um, virtue is contagious emotionally relationally and spiritually some of you have drifted to a place of joylessness of apathy of obligation and you don't even fully know it but you're hanging out with people remember what hebrews 12 28 said it said let us be thankful let's be thankful together hang out with thankful people hang out with people that'll help you stop comparing and start counting hang out with people who call out the blessing of god in your life and they're not jealous uh, if you've got the farmhouse table and the vegetables that you've grown. They, they rejoice and they, they celebrate God's goodness. Let us be thankful. Let's be thankful uh, together. And uh, listen, if you want to grow this year, don't hang out with people that are angry at other people. Don't hang out with people that are angry at the church. Don't hang out with people that aren't looking for the good. Don't hang out with people that aren't calling out the good. The second move that I want us to make uh, in order to avoid the drift, we got to reverse the list, is to start praying and stop panicking where do you go when the world closes in where do you go when the need is greater than your resources where do you run when you lack the wisdom to know what to do do you panic do you pray hebrews 4 gives us this offering this offering let us and notice each of these passages those two words are true there's 14 passages in hebrews that say let us let us together, let us share life together. Let's avoid the drift. Drift happens, but let us together avoid it by locking arms and let us what? With confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How many of you need mercy today? How many of you need some grace in your life? How many of you have a time of, it's, it's okay, you could raise your hand if you're not too proud and, and you're honest. I mean, anybody need some mercy today? Anybody need some mercy from God or somebody in your life? Anybody need some grace to help in a time of need? Something at work tomorrow, something that could keep you up tonight and you need, anybody need that? Here's the, here's the invitation. Let us together come boldly to the throne of grace. And I love that. And here's what I, what I want to preach to you today. We have a heavenly father. And that means we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And we pray together. I want to give you a charge this year to pray more in your group and to pray for each other. To seek the throne of God together. Let us come boldly. For some of us, our drift is that we've started to panic and we've stopped praying. We don't go to God first. We may not go to God at all. So let's lock arms. The way we prevent ourselves from drifting is to say, hey, let us together. I have been with brothers and sisters in Christ. I've been in a marriage at times before. Um, I mean, this is my only marriage, but um, she has helped me at times when I have not felt like praying. And her prayers for me or prayers with me have pulled me through in that time. And, and we need that. We need to lock arms with each other and say, let us 
Hey, married, uh, married couples, if one spouse isn't praying, you pray and pray for them and pray over them. It really does make a difference. The third move that I want to give us is to start fighting sin and stop flirting with it. Stop, start fighting sin and stop flirting with it. Hebrews 12.1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, say these next two words out loud, church. Let us also lay aside every weight. And here we go. And the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I bet a lot of you have heard that passage before. It's inspirational on coffee cups and such. But man, it can change your life. Let us lay aside the burden, just just our anxieties, the things that weigh us down. But let's also lay aside the sin that so easily entangles or holds us back. Let's, let's, Let's fight this fight. Let's don't flirt with sin. Let's fight it. You ever heard this expression? You ever use this expression? You do you. Isn't that great? Do you know that's like, that's like the number one philosophy in America today? You do you. You live your truth. You do you. Now, and let me be honest because some of you are a little too judgmental on the surface. But uh, I like this expression in some degree. I mean, I, like I got three kids. They're different. I want to encourage them to be who they are. I love your giftedness. I love what some of you bring to this church family, to the body of Christ. I like your unique expression of who you are. I don't want you to conform to the people around you. This, is, this ain't a cult. And so conformity can be a deadening to the soul. So and, and there's a part of me, uh, be patient with me. I love the expression, you do you. But the problem is, and it's a big problem, is that it's come to mean so much more. It's come to mean you are the arbiter of justice and truth. You are the one who decides. You and you alone, yourself, you're in charge of everything. You do you means you live by your truth, not the truth, which will set you free. But can I just say, your truth ain't going to set you free. Your truth may make you feel good. It may take you to the right ball game or movie or, you know, uh, flirting in a relationship. But your, your, your truth won't set you free. The truth of Jesus will set you free. The Savior of the world came to set you free. And knowing that he paid the penalty for your sin, you can't do that on your own. Uh, Only that truth can set you free. So you do you is at its core, as a philosophy, is a lie. You remember Hamlet? Remember Shakespeare? Remember this? This above all, this is a more uh, antiquated version. This above all, to thine own self be true. Does anybody remember who spoke that line? Anybody? Polonius the fool. And I think it's important to point that out, that he's Polonius the fool. Because you're a fool if you want to live with that philosophy of life. You're a fool if you think to your own self be true. If, it, if your philosophy, the way you live, is you do you, man, you've drifted far from truth. And that's not going to give you life. I don't have it on the screen, but in Hebrews chapter 4, it says that Jesus... It's right, this the verse, uh, Hebrews 4.15, it's right before Hebrews 4.16 about let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Uh, it says that for we have a high priest who is sympathetic with our weaknesses. He was tempted in all points as we are. And can I say uh, through, the, through the many years of preaching, pastoring, I've talked to many people who like they're confused by that verse. They just don't have room in their mind to think that Jesus was tempted as in all points. Like there's some trick to that verse. But, uh, and it's not a verse. I mean, read the Gospels. Jesus was tempted like you. He was tempted like you are. And therefore, we have a Savior on the throne of grace, ready for grace. But he understands the temptations that we, that we feel. So with that, I want to give you three quick truths that we talk about not flirting with sin, but fighting sin. Uh, three truths about temptation that the Bible teaches. The first is that temptation is universal. Everybody in the room 
is in a, in a battle with temptation. They may be a little a bit different. We're inviting men to come to the uh, community center tomorrow night to watch TCU Georgia. I don't know if you have a dog in, in that fight, but, um, but we're going to watch together. And uh, it's going to be fun. But look, when you're with a group of men, uh, there's some common temptations that men have. But all of us have temptations. There's a variety of temptations. But look at what 1 Corinthians 10 says, familiar for many of you. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what your, your ability. You're not animals. You have the glory of God imprinted on you. You can say yes and you can say no and you can grow in your power and ability to do so. But with the temptation, I just added a bunch of stuff to the Bible. But with the temptation, he will also, I guess we are a cult. Uh, with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, some temptations, I've preached this before, you need to flee. You don't need to be hanging out, but some you, you have to endure. Um, so, so temptation is universal. All of us are, I mean, we're all, like the Bible says, living in the same boat, fishing from the same hole. Um, the second thing about temptation is it's relentless. Can I get an amen? It's relentless. Notice what Jesus said uh, in Luke chapter 4. He was tempted uh, in the desert. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he, he offered three big ones. This was uh, amidst his 40-day fast. He departed from him until an opportune time. He departed from him until an opportune time. You and I have signature sins and designated moments of weakness. And you have an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion. That's why you don't need to be alone. Man, I just did an African safari back in October. Like, you know, we're in a Jeep and we've got, like, you know, people around. And, like, you, you don't want to be certain places alone. You want to be with people in a motorized vehicle uh, with a, a guide who has a gun. But you, you, don't, you don't want to be on your own. But the enemy prowls around like a roar lion, seeking who may, he may devour. And when, you are, when we lock arms, when we, live the, when we live life together, when we're saying let us together, listen, you've done so much to avoid the drift. You've done so much to avoid the drift of being far from God into a place you never dreamt of, the place that you can't even get out of. Um, temptation. Um, there's an enemy and he knows your opportune time. For a moment, ask yourself, what's your opportune time? For many of us, it's after a real high. For some of us, it's when we're an emotional pit. And the enemy knows that's when he can attack us. Stop flirting with sin and start fighting sin. And look at me, let's do it together. Temptation is universal Temptation is relentless. And a third thing, let's say it like this. Temptation throws cheap shots. After Jesus was tempted, Matthew says it this way. Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only will you serve. John Mark Comer in his book, Live No Lies, put it this way. Jesus recognized the lies because he had a deep relationship with the truth. That'd be a good challenge for us in living life together to help each other when you don't recognize what's happening around you, when you don't recognize the fight you're in, when you don't recognize the sin that you're acquiescing to, when you don't see the drift in your own life, that you would have somebody there that could help align you to the truth. The fourth thing, it's, I just segued, start embracing accountability and stop avoiding it. Now, this is a word that's going to, be, it's going to be hard for me in these few moments to get past you because it's such an overused, I'm sorry, yeah, overused word, but 
we, we so rarely practice it as God intended. Um, Aristotle said that there's three kinds of friendship. He talked about a friendship uh, that is to advantage. There's friendships that to your advantage. In our day, it would be business networking. Oh, let me go hang out with so-and-so. Uh, I could benefit from them. I've got this, and they've got that, and I could buy this. They could buy, the, you know, product service. It's a transaction. It's some type of networking, and there's an advantage to you. That's one type of friendship. Another fr- type of friendship, Aristotle said, is common interest. It's eating and drinking and playing and sport and such. It's hobbies and interests. Uh, but the third type of friendship he talked about is the best friendship of all. It's a friendship of what he called training in virtue. I love that because when you love somebody, you want good to come in them. You want good to grow in them and you want good to overflow in them. I'm talking to more and more parents these days. They don't really care what, their, what job their kids grow up and take. They care about who they're becoming. And that is the heart of God the Father toward us is that we would grow in our virtue and so I wonder if you've got any friendships if you've got any friendships related that aren't related to business networking or sometimes some of you in college so you're not necessarily business networking but uh, you know relationships that have advantage to you and they're pursued because of the advantage to you or just common interest you have any other friendships any friendships that are in the training and virtue category look what Paul would say to Timothy a young protege he would say, uh, yeah, let's go back, Larry, sorry for that. Let's back up to Hebrews because I really want to emphasize this. Uh, when we talk about accountability, we all kind of need to know where we're ultimately going. <laughs> so this is like a good, hard, heavy truth, but I love it. And no creature is hidden, Hebrews 4, 13. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Daniel Webster, who wrote the dictionary, must have been a smart guy, said the greatest thought his mind has ever, t- ever entertained is his accountability to God. And so ultimately we'll all be accountable. But look what Hebrews 10 says, how we can be accountable to each other. Let us consider, let's, let's think about this. Let's really think about how we can stir up one another to love and good works. Let's think about how we can be involved in training each other in virtue. Now to Paul and Timothy, his protege, he says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. How y'all doing in your January 2023 exercise program y'all good we're eight days in everybody's everybody's been doing their thing yeah well good job but bodily exercise profits little well in the next life Um, it can have some good profit it does have real good profit in this life but Paul is saying hey here's the implications of this this is me saying it but you can see it here he's saying man you know some and some of you really know this if when you train your body uh You need people. You need a trainer. You need people to not just spot you in the gym, but to push you and to talk to you about how you're working in the gym and working out and eating and the whole thing. You need somebody. You need a partner in training. And all the more we need this spiritually. If we're not going to drift spiritually, if we're going to not drift away from joy and away from Jesus and away from goodness and away from virtue, if we're not going to drift in this regard, then we need people that will be able to keep us accountable. There's a story in the Bible in Galatians. It's in chapter 2 in verses 11 through 14. Read it later and, and read it also in the message. I always get in trouble when I recommend the message, but it's kind of a funny a paraphrase of the Bible, but it's a real language for many of us. But in Galatians chapter 2, there's this account where Paul notices Peter uh, doing something that's not good for the kingdom. 
And it's complicated things, involves the Jews and the Greeks and the gospel and who's in, who's out, and the customs and what freedom looks like or whatever. But Paul notices Peter, and the Bible gives us the account of Paul keeping Peter accountable, uh, calls him out. And Peter responds. Now, that, let me, let's stop for a second. That takes courage. When you call someone out, can I just say that? And by the way, when clear is kind. When you have a conversation with someone and uh, they're, they're drifting and you, you point them back to Jesus, like that's such a good thing. But it takes courage to do that. It also takes a lot of relational capital and a gentleness and a reverence, Galatians 6 would say. So it, it takes a lot, but it takes Jesus and it, it takes a, the right spirit. So Paul had courage to confront Peter. But Peter did not say in Galatians 2, notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, uh, mind your own business. In fact, I did a quick search. The words mind your own business is nowhere in the Bible. All right, if you want to check me, in fact, check me on that. No, nobody in the Bible says mind your own business. In fact, it says we're a family and we're our brother's keeper. And we're to live together and to care about each other. Now, does, does that mean that we all walk around telling everybody uh, where they're off base and everything they've done wrong? No, that's not your job. That's the pastor's job to do that. <laughs> so you, that's not your job. Hey, listen, it means that we're, if we have relational capital with somebody and we've invited them into our world, that they confront us to our face and they hold us accountable. There's a book uh, it came out, came on the scene. You business people, business women and men know about it uh, from a couple of decades ago called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And he talks about him, if I can name him, I'm um, kind of impromptu here. He talks about um, a lack of trust, about fear of, of conflict, um, about an absence of commitment and an avoidance of accountability. Um, he talks about these things and about... Um, not caring for the, the bottom line or the results. And of the five, Lencioni says in his book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, he says that it's really the fourth one, the avoidance of ca- accountability that does us in. Can I say that I think it's true? That if you want to live your own way, to your own self be true, if you want to do you and you want to tell people, mind your own business, you're going to drift somewhere that you never want to be. That we need to lock arms. I know y'all been on Instagram or Facebook and seen the pictures of those otters and they sleep by locking arms. It's like, it's too cute to show in church. Like you would be, you'd be slain in the spirit if we showed it. It's just too cute. Don't look at it later unless you're really ready. But like the, these otters are holding hands and they're, they, they sleep locking arms with each other. So why? So they, they don't drift because there's danger and peril. But we live like we can just go and do what we want to do. That we don't have to lock arms. And so our call is to consider how we might be drifting. Hey, let's do a few things this morning. Let's start counting and stop comparing. Let's start praying and stop panicking. Let's, let's start embracing, inviting it. And that's, here's the thing about accountability. It, 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 it only works if you want it. Accountability only works if you invite it in, not if you think it's something that you can endure. And here's where the church gets it wrong. Sign up for a men's group, find a few men to keep you accountable, and they're going to keep you accountable. Nobody does, really. And nobody, you know, grows deeper, and we don't learn to get in each other's face, and nobody really wants it, right? And so it doesn't work. 
But when you want to grow, when there's a goal of growth, when you don't want to drift from joy in Jesus and your spouse, when you, when you don't want to lose your children, when you don't want to lose the vitality and energy and creative spark that you once had, when you don't want to live everything by ought and duty and obligation, when you want that, you'll know that you'll need somebody and you need those relationships where we say, hey, let us do this together. And the final thing, number five, is this. Let's start gathering and stop isolating. Hebrews 10, everybody knows it. Um, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. In 2013, I got to marry this couple. And uh, he's in law and she's in medicine. And they've really walked um, through a lot of pain. And they've done it here. And years ago, they got out of a row and into a circle and started sharing life in a group. And I want you to watch and listen to Sterling and Cat Rose Kidd and their story. Having friends that are believing friends has really been everything to us. We started an IVF journey in 2018, and um, we were in a group that um, was going through a, like a hard time. Several people in that group have um, went through, walked through like really hard and tragic um, things. And for me to see somebody else walk through pain um, just so gracefully and so intentionally with the Lord, was really a good example for me um, and I didn't really know it at the time that, that it would be such a hard journey for us but to see them just set such a good example of what the Lord was doing inside their own heartbreak really um, just set us up for uh, a very sweet walk through what has been you know really hard and heartbreaking for us um, and so having them set an example and like come alongside us and encourage us and know that um, the Lord is still good even through hard things. That would be what I am most appreciative about. That even if it ends terribly, um, if it, you never get what you ask for, that the Lord is still good and that He still loves us. Uh, and, I, and another moment that I'll never forget um, is you know, the night before we ultimately had our successful uh, IVF transfer, shortly right before that, um, and only for the night of the transfer, transfer, just preparing for the transfer. But in any event, uh, you know, we were going to the group, and frankly, I don't think either one of us had a particularly good attitude about it. Throw Hunter, throw Catherine Rose under the bus; she had a terrible attitude about it. Uh, and so, as we were in the as we were in the car. She had gotten out and I just said a prayer to God, like, you know, I really don't know what you have us doing here tonight. Like, she has a bad attitude, I have a bad attitude. Uh, and as it turned out, um, through discussion in the group, it, you know, the group prayed around us, we talked about it, it was a very emotional and moving moment, and then ultimately it was successful. Uh, and then the, just being able to celebrate with the group rather than mourn or be sad with the group was, was amazing. But I also like that um, that night, um, this group, having Christian friends, I was able to bring, um, they were talking about how encouraging it is to get something that you pray for. And I asked them, you know, have you ever gotten any, have you ever prayed for something and not gotten it? And um, I said, because that's where I am. I feel forgotten by the Lord. I feel 
like my prayers are not going through the ceiling and obviously I'm I'm discouraged and frankly I just had had it and I you know had I not had a good Christian group to come to to bring that to you know who knows what their response would have been but their response was they accepted my messy feelings towards God and they um, you know didn't discount them they they reminded me that the Lord's big enough to bring uh, bring our feelings our messy big feelings and question him and um, you know I just was questioning his goodness and they like I was able to put that all out there on the table and they didn't judge me they didn't you know talk about me they uh, ultimately like you said came around us and prayed for you know obviously it to work for the transfer to be successful but that uh, again if it didn't work for us to be okay and for our strength and our faith to not be like to not be um, for our faith to not suffer because of it and that was very powerful for us you know had we not had that group or a good Christian group around us who knows you know what we would have felt like regardless of if it worked or if it didn't. Uh, the opportunities the church offers, I would encourage people to take advantage of it. Yeah, I mean, when you first go, I mean, yeah, it's awkward. Uh, it was awkward when I first asked Catherine Rose out after I chased her across the parking lot. Mm -hmm. But, you know, sometimes awkward things uh, turn into great things. That's true. That's true. <laughs> It's just like every day you look at them and you're like, that's what we prayed for for so long. Um, and it's just so encouraging to feel like you've been heard by the Lord and after so long of not, of feeling like he hasn't heard your prayer. Um, you know, just to see it in real life, it makes the, the early mornings and the late nights worth it. You can just look at them and, you know, this is what we prayed for. and. Um, you know, our answered prayer, a little piece of heaven here. Um, Sherilyn still cries all the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's probably shown on the camera, but the, uh, you know, it's just hard to explain the mirror. You know, parents understand it, but people said, you know, you can just never understand what it, you can't articulate what it's like uh, to, uh, to see your child for the first time. And it's just an absolute miracle of God. I mean, I was just so overwhelming. You know, I, I joke. You know, foot, foot washing is obviously part of the Christian, con, the Christian tradition. And I joke with Catherine Rose that the amount of tears I cried when I first saw him, we could have, uh, we could have washed uh, a lot of feet with with the amount of tears that I shed when he first, when I first got to see him. Of course, we had a C-section, so I got to see him first. We. Oui. Uh, so, but I mean, it's just you know, being around him is amazing, and it, it certainly makes makes me want to be a better man every day for him. And. Walk more carefully, walk more carefully and thoughtfully with God, so I can set the right example for him. The Lord can take those feelings; He can bring those to Him every day, and it's okay to feel that way. It doesn't mean that you're any less of a Christian or you know a bad person, but um, it's just to hang in there. Unanswered prayer, our long battle with you know, hard things. Um, get around people that encourage you because it meant the world to us to have people believe when we did it. Um, you know, it's like the, when Jesus is in the Bible, talks about how that man um, 
he was healed because his friends laid him through that roof. That was exactly what Wandering Church has meant to us. They have brought us to the feet of Jesus every every time, every single time, and and here we are. And you know, had it not worked, um, I know that we probably would have been okay because of their prayers as well. Um, we're obviously thankful that it worked, but you know, Fondren Church has taken us to the feet of Jesus time and time again, and it's been it's meant the world to us. Yeah, I would echo that. I mean, when when the day we did the transfer, I was actually in a trial. And so I couldn't be with Kat, but I remember praying like, God, I, I, you know, we really need this to work and, you know, help my unbelief, uh, the, the famous verse, because, you know, it, it's certainly okay to, to have doubts. Robert talks about it all the time. God is with you in your doubt. Uh, but all, whenever you gain the strength, just try to take it to him, uh, take that doubt to him and present it to him and ask for his help. Stand, church, and uh, let's live life together this year. Father, would you help us to grow in this regard? And when we get together out of rows and into circles, we're not studying contemporary motivational literature and looking the other way and going through the motions. We're getting a deep, deeply involved in others' lives. And we're encouraging and we're calling out and we're spurring one another on to love and good deeds. And would, you, would that grow here, Lord? Can we be more of a Jesus community here? As we live life together, drift happens. And I pray for those who drifted today. I pray Hebrews 6 over them, that we have a sure, we have an anchor for the soul. Hebrews 6, 19, we have an anchor for the soul who is a steady and sure foundation. He's firm, and that is you. And so I pray that you minister grace to the drifters today. In Jesus we pray, amen. Our altar of invitation is open. We only have a few minutes, but we would love to pray for you in these moments.